This message by David Pallison, titled Enduring Trials with the Psalmist, is made available to you through Sovereign Grace Ministries. It was recorded during the fourth general session at our Worship God 2008 conference. David edits the Journal of Biblical Counseling, counsels and teaches at the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, and teaches practical theology at Westminster Theological Seminary. It is my privilege to be able to speak with you this morning. And uh, let me begin by praying for us. Our dearest Father, who is sufficient for what we have heard and what we have sung, who is sufficient for these things, that we should be uh, allowed to participate in the love and kindness of this Jesus, and that you would go yourself through sorrow and death and betrayal, that we might have life and might have joy. And we pray, our great Lord, as we think about what it means to walk through hardship, trouble, pain, suffering, right up to death, the last enemy, what it means to walk through these things, to bear these things with the great psalmist yourself. We pray that you will be our teacher. You will make us wise and not foolish. You will awaken us to your very self. And we ask this in the name and to the great praise, honor, and glory of Christ the King. Amen. A few weeks ago, Bob Coughlin uh, sent me an email. He asked me two questions. And I want to read those questions to you and, and uh, give some sense of how I answered them because how I answered them is what I hope our God will accomplish through our time together this morning. First question he asked is, what do you hope will be filling people's minds and hearts as they walk away from your message? So in a sense, I'm looking down some minutes away. This is what I, what I thought, and I still think. I hope that people will be thinking the Psalms are about what my life is about. And that life is always playing variations on a theme. And that theme is the human predicament. It's that there is something wrong, and it will kill me. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with what is happening to me. The hardships of sin and suffering, this double evil that is our condition. And the second thing is that I hope people in seeing, this, this, the Psalms are about what my life is about, is that people will be thinking about the fact that the Lord, our God, intervenes personally with mercies. That he steps in and he reveals himself so that we will know him and abound in hope. And that is so for me, and that is so for every single person gathering here. That's one goal. Second question Bob asked me, how do you hope your message will change the way that people think about the Psalms and about what it means to worship God? And this is how I answered him. One change I hope to see is that worship leaders will bring a greater emotional range, a greater experiential range, greater sense of how life unfolds, first-person sense, to their leadership. It's so easy to become monochromatic, right? Just kind of, you know, a one-note melody in the way we think about God, the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about life, the way we think about what, God, what the promises are, what the, quote, gospel is. It's so easy to be monochromatic, to define, when we think in particular about worship, to divine worship as one particular emotion or experience or one particular way that we come to God rather than as many complementary, highly nuanced kinds of experiences. And so in a sense, the focus of my talk, the change, if you will, is that I want us to think together about, or to you, to you personally, about what you bring to the table and how what you bring to the table can become 
richer, deeper, more thoughtful, more feeling, more complex, more nuanced, and so forth. You know, in that, as that happens, it does seem to me, and it's what I call a related change I hope to see, is that worship leaders will learn how to more effectively help other worshipers to personalize what they sing. There is in worship so much truth flies by so fast, and it is a challenge to rivet truth to the heart so that it becomes effective in producing an honest life and then honest worship. That's what I hope. Let me begin with a story, Um, simple story. This is... uh, Exactly one week ago, I was, uh, I was, lo- I was in an op- lying on an operating table for a medical event. Um, uh, they had stuck the uh, you know, IV in, and they were getting ready to knock me out. And a uh, little bit of background history. Medical events in my life are not associated with happy outcomes. They are associated with unexpected side effects, uh, complications. I guess that's the... Uh, the word for it, painful, disabling things, things that weren't supposed to happen, uh, side effects. So full recovery, back to normal, let's go, is not my main association to medical things. This was a a minor endoscopic procedure. And I was lying there on the table, and I realized that I felt, and here's the way I describe the feeling, mildly apprehensive, you know, this is, this is not a panic attack. I'm cool. I'm talking to the nurse, talking to the anesthesiologist, talking to the doctor. But the way I describe it, and when Nan and I spoke later, she said she'd seen that over the previous two or three days. Kind of, you know, Mild apprehension is something that just, it's there. It's in everything about you. Mildly apprehensive. Um, you know, when you think about it, when you go under anesthesia, For one thing, you are helpless. You are utterly helpless. You are in the hands of a stranger, presumably well-intended, presumably skillful, but, you know, a little bit of extra juice and, you know, you're gone, right? I mean, this is what they do to dogs when they, uh, (laughs) is just a little bit too much anesthesia. And, you know, my body's going to be invaded by a probe and there are possible perforations, complications, side effects, destructions, bleeding, death. They, all the questions, you know, they asked me before, have you, have you, do you have your living will? Have you, you know, um, mild apprehension. <laughs> but you know, about, about two minutes before I was going to go under, I, I realized that I was feeling mild apprehension. It really hit me. And the first thing that came into my mind was this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness For his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then I rolled over and closed my eyes and they were about to, I didn't know when the, you know, lights out was going to happen. And I went into it again. And one of the things that I often do with Psalm 23 is, the, you, know, you know, there's that wonderful switch from he, you know, the Lord, he is my shepherd to you are with me. And I'll often just put the you right from the beginning. And I started through it again. You are my shepherd. You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside still waters. You restore my soul. And I woke up about 45 minutes later. Um, 
good sleep, good rest, everything was fine. Um, but that little tiny event is, it's one of those things that just, it captures the way in which this connect between your life, my life, and our God, how that actually happens. I would like to describe it, that even in that tiny story that you would notice, there there are three things going on. We could think of them as a triangulation. You know, if if you're able to triangulate in navigation, you know where you are. There's a triangulation. One thing that you see is my exact need. And my exact need has something outward about it that... I am, in a, I am going into a situation in which there are genuine uncertainties, right? In which, in a certain sense, it, you know, if the shadow of something is a little taste of it, anesthesia, looking for bad things going on inside you, is certainly a shadow of death. So there are genuine uncertainties, human fragility, possibilities of death, in a, at least in prospect. And there is something inward in my need. There's an inward apprehension about what it is that I'm facing on a Friday morning. That's one part. My exact need is on the table. That's one corner, you might say. There's another corner, is that our God speaks right into that situation. And Psalm 23 happens to tell me and to tell you a dozen things about how he directly invades and touches my life and your life. But, you know, if you just have those two things, it, they aren't yet together, are they? You're not let, you've got two things. You've got, here's a God that speaks into this, and here's a genuine human need and struggle. And the third point that actually triangulates it is that something happens inside us that personalizes it all, that brings those two things together, right? that takes to heart my need, and my God. And at the simplest level, remembers. Remembers. Remembers who he is. Remembers what is true. Remembers things that I've said to myself literally a thousand times before. And then in remembering, it's not just cognitive rehearsal, in remembering reaches for help needs it to be so. And in that makes the connection. And, you know, there's a further part. I mean, one of the things that is just woven deeply into the whole way that God's reality works is that faith then works through love. That what happens in that reaching to God, the triangulation with God, is that then that, you might say the loop is completed that faith then reaches to people. I get the privilege of in this sharing it with you. I get get the privilege of waking up out of my 45-minute sleep and being joyful and glad to talk with the nurse and the doctor and to connect with them and to, you know, there was life and vibrancy and not the way that apprehension and relief can create a certain self-absorption. There was a, there was an out, there's a, the, the ability to take it somewhere. And then I could talk with Nan afterwards and tell, tell her how God met me two minutes before they were going to turn out the lights. And this profound, otherwise invisible encounter between the living God who needs his help, the creature who is in need, that that God meets us. It, uh, and you realize that as my brother was speaking earlier, as I would say, share, you, you realize that your faith isn't just for you. Your faith is for each, our faith is for each other as well. That there's, there's something where that connect gets made that moves not, it doesn't only make you happy, clappy. It moves you from the change wrought inside you the ability to then have an impact, an effect for good in other people. That, that dynamic is what I want you to see in the Psalms. That dynamic is what I want you to live. That dynamic is where I want you to grab a hold of in some ways that are richer, more complex, different, 
just start to expand the horizons of what then you bring to the table. One is a human being. And two is someone, a man or woman, that's part of the leading of God's people into a genuine and richer worship of him. One of my prayers before and during this conference has been, and I know you've seen this as I have often, that God himself would weave together diverse talks between people who never communicated. And yes, we had our, our loyal, heroic director who... He had a plan of what was going to be said, but he has no ability to script what actually gets said. And that somehow the living God would somehow weave together and create something bigger than any human being could have ever anticipated going in. And that's one of the things that as I've been listening through these last two days, trying to hear what's being said, I've been listening hard. And I've been listening hard trying to, fig- to sort out and to know, okay, where, do, where does what my showing up on a Friday morning, where does this fit in the whole picture? And this is the, what I've been processing as I've heard uh, Craig Cabanis and, and uh, Tabiti, I won't even try his last name, and Mark Dever uh, speaking to us. Here's where I've been going with it. I've been asking the question, okay, what is... What is going on in the human experience of the Psalms we're hearing about? What is going on in Psalm 33 that Craig gave us? Psalm 33, what's the the experiential, emotional thing happening inside? And the way he started us out, he said, you know, this is a textbook Psalm of Praise. And it is. It's very simple. What's going on inside Psalm 33 is one thing. There's no, put it in music, there's no modulation, right? There's no chord progression. It's just one thing. Come, rejoice, you've got good reasons. And if, that, if there's any modulation at all, it's this very small, uh, starts out exuberant, ends up more quiet. So noisy faith at the beginning and more quiet faith at the end. And what Psalm 33, so you might say what's going on in Psalm 33 is the whole thing is in the same key from beginning to end. It's an uncomplicated, it's kind of a a clean line experientially what's taking place. And it is a particular clean line that actually happens to be our destination. Psalm 33 is a foretaste of Psalm 150. It's this simplicity is going to be what remains at the end of the journey. When all the tears are gone, there's no more sorrow, sighing, heartache, death, misery, evil. What is left is this is a purity of joy. So you might say that what we got on the first evening was a primer on where are we going. And it is a very simple place of pure joy. Everything that has breath praises the Lord. And, you know, I think Joseph Stegori will probably like this um, comment. When you read the Psalter, the Psalter is tipped towards sorrow. It really is. I don't know, 60, 40, two-thirds, one-third. The, the Psalter is more about heartache and need and anguish and brokenness. It's more in the minor key than in the major key, isn't it? But... You know, I actually think there are some differences between the, the balance of things in the Psalms and New Testament worship. And they could actually, I, I think you can wring it out of me, a, a dour Presbyterian, that the New Testament does rock more than the Old Testament. It, you know, it, there are better promises, right? There is a clearer redemption. We see it more clearly. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. But at a certain price, the sorrow of the Psalms is because the Psalms were for Jesus. He walked. He was the man of sorrows. And one of the things I deeply appreciate about that, that old Johann Hermann hymn, Ah, Holy Jesus, is that it climbs into the experience of our Lord we, we get to maybe reverse the percentage, you know, not at a season of life. There can be seasons of life, obviously, 
in any one person's life that are all heartache. But on the overall balance sheet, you know, maybe it's 60-40 towards joy and towards major key. Uh, in, uh, but it is, that is because the Psalms were walked out by that Jesus who, who lived sorrow. He lived death. The thing that so many of the Psalms say, you know, don't give me up to death. Don't let my life, I'm yours. Don't let me go the way of the wicked. You've promised, Lord, that you will destroy. The, the, the way of the wicked will perish. But the way of the righteous is blessed. And then we see that the Lamb of God perished. He drank the cup of wrath that was reserved for the wicked. And he suffered. And he hurt. And one of the beauties of the Psalms is that they let you actually climb into the experience life, the, kind of, the inner processing of Jesus. So that, Psalm 33, first night, it's where we're going. It's our destination. It's a clean line. It's very simple. It's all joy. And then uh, Tabidi uh, Anya Bwili spoke. Psalm 73, it gets more complicated. And the reason is this. Evil complicates. Goodness simplifies. Goodness is all simple. And it's all joy. And in the end, good wins. But evil complicates. It complicates in all sorts of ways. And uh, what it, it, evil introduces a madness into things and a pain. And it introduces internal conflicts and tensions and relationship conflicts and tensions between us. And so what we saw in Psalm 73, there was a progression in that psalm. It's not just a clean line. It's a progression. In fact, it's not even from minor key to major key. It's not, it's not even from heartache and need to joy. It's actually a progression from off-key and discordant, and it's not working, to major key. So it's a unique psalm. It it's uniquely captures that move from off-key to major key. That's a progression. And that is the, it, one of the things that made that talk so powerful is that, you know, if you get psalm, the Psalm 33 music, you might say, you understand your destination. If you get the Psalm 73 music, you understand that that progression from off-key to joy is actually, in principle, the entire dynamic of the Christian life. That's what my little Psalm 23 on the operating table, it's that progression from a different variant. It's not the Psalm 73 variant, but it's the same kind of thing from darkness to light, from confusion to clarity, from something off, not working, to something that is on. That from to dynamic. And then when last night we heard Mark Dever, and Psalm 22 is a much more intricate progression. Now, Mark didn't unpack this last night because it wasn't his purpose, but you caught it and heard it and felt it when Ryan read this, recited the psalm to us. There was a progression there. It, this made sense as a human experience. Like, yes, a person goes through this process, and it's that sense of a process that I really don't want you to miss as you think about the Psalms. It's so easy, for example, to look at a Psalm and to abstract it and just say, try to yank out doctrinal points. You know, like here's something about suffering. Here's something about promises of God. Here's a covenant promise. And you sort of tear the Psalm apart. And then you, when you tear it apart, it's as though it's, it's like taking apart music and you sort of collected all the C notes over here and all the B flats over here. And all the, it's like you've lost the music. The music is actually this progression it's a quite complex progression and you develop a wider range a deeper humanity a greater sense for human experience when you enter into that the actual progression it's powerful what takes place i mean here's the progression and mark only described it for us but the psalm lives it in front of our eyes it goes this way right where are you why have you forsaken me? So it makes this so agonizing. This is, this is against a backdrop. The Lord God has promised, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I will be with you. Be strong and courageous. I will be with you. Why have you forsaken me? 
There's where the, that's where the oomph, the angst comes in that particular. And then there's a modulation. Yet you were faithful to our fathers in the past. And it modulates again. But I am in deep and deadly trouble. Yet you have been faithful to me also in my past. But I am broken. And you are the one who is casting me down into the dust of death. Then he stops talking in a sense, to himself. And he looks and he goes the other way. It's like, don't be far away. Don't abandon me. Help me. There's a outcry. And then there's another modulation. I will praise you because you do not treat lightly the affliction of the afflicted. You do not blow us away. You don't say whatever when I am in heartbreak. You care. And then there's another modulation. He moves from his own individual experience. Faith works through love. The whole world will praise you. The whole world will know you. In fact, down through all history, people will say, and this is that last line of Psalm 22, he did it. In other words, translated into the first person, it is finished. There's a tremendous, you know, you, you, you don't understand, you, you best understand Psalm 22 when you notice and attune to the way in which, the, which human experience modulates. Now, the Psalm 73, one of the things we could say about it, again, these are the kinds of, of things to notice that just, they enliven you, they deepen you, they widen you, they, in, they make you wise. In Psalm 73, it's very important to notice it went from off-key to in-key and it was the man reflecting later on what happened. Right? The whole psalm is past tense. He knew when he writes, he knows when he writes it, oh, that's, I mean, let me tell you what happened. So you might say Psalm 73 is kind of cool, calm, and collected. Psalm 22 is not cool, calm, and collected. Psalm 22, you catch it on the wing, the struggle with evil, the struggle with death, the struggle with how do God's promises match with my experience which they don't seem to line up with. uh, That's what I want you to learn to pay attention to. That's something that I hope in our time this morning I can in some way contribute to. As I think about that goal of that greater experiential range in you, there's four goals I could put in this. First, I really want you to become more attuned to just to learn to have an eye for and an ear for these progressions within honesty and experience, the development, the modulation, right? You live this way. And you'll live this way better when you see that you are being given patterns. Bob talked on the opening night about the way in which the Psalms master us. And what they do is they actually repattern the way you understand how this encounter with complicating evil, whether it arises from inside you or hits you in the face from outside, so notice the progression. I want you to, a second sense, is to stay alive for a surprising variety, complexity. There are no two psalms alike. There really aren't. You can read them through a certain eye. You read them through a kind of a genre eye or a systematic theology eye, and you can say, okay, here's another psalm of praise to God as king. But that's not what's there. It's not just a category about a thing. What it is, is a living, joyous, I praise you because this is so. And this is the greatest thing that ever happened. And it's not just, oh yeah, one more lament song. In fact, they aren't even lament songs. I think it's one of the places where genre analysis really misleads us. They are not laments. They are cries for mercy. I need you. Save me. Help me. You must help me. You must not abandon me. It's not a lament. That's a lament is just woe is me, you know, and isn't it tough, my life. This is a cry for help. And it's a cry growing out of an immediacy of need. I need this. And they are all different. Third thing, I want you to hear the invitation in, in the way in which the Scripture just 
this works. I mean, this is what people are like. This is reality. This is honesty. This is, this is a depth where, uh, and, and the Psalm 119 article that our brother mentioned has a discussion there you might appreciate. It's in your, it's in your notebook where I talk about the redemption of our honesty because raw human honesty stinks. Raw human honesty is destructive. It's selfish. It's full of self-pity, judgment, anger, hostility, bitterness. I was done dirty. You're a rat. I'm so righteous. Raw, And I'm telling you what I really think. It's raw and it's ugly. But what, Psalm, what the Psalms give you, you could call it this, the redemption of personal honesty. It will make your honesty searingly straight on. And it's, and it is filled with sweet fragrance. It is the right kind of honesty that is there. And then finally, fourth, I want you to see something of how the way in which this process, this, this putting together of my specific need and my God and his specific promises and this grabbing hold of it that, tr- that creates the triangulation the way in which that always leads to a new song. It always leads to creativity, freshness, some ability to personalize the truth. The opposite is that you will live your life and it will affect the way you lead others and the way you worship and what you communicate in worship in ways that are stereotyped, cardboard. It's, a, it's you know, like the, the thing about a B-movie or Pulp Fiction or some little soap opera or let's call them bad country music songs, is they are so predictable. It's just predictable boilerplate. I've heard that before. I know what comes next. And that formulaic yada yada, I've heard that before. I've sung that before. That is not worship. The kind of worship that lives comes out of a human being who is alive to these progressions, to these realities that are actually quite, they can be quite complex. It's not, the alternative is clip art music, right? Rather than honest praise for reasons that mean something, honest need because of a situation that is in my life. I want us to look at a passage. I'm going to focus here on Psalm 28. Psalm 28 modulates. It's got four parts. It's in a straight line. It proceeds one, two, three, four. It's a, again, all that's important. You know, it's it it's going somewhere. It ends up. It, this is this Psalm 28 is the classic, moving from minor key to major key. And I want you to follow this with me. It's a it is a textbook. Lament genre. In other words, this is a plea for mercy, and it comes, it's, it's, it's bedrock, it's basic. First two verses is crying out for help. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to comment on the first two verses. To you, O Lord, I call, my rock, be not deaf to me. Lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Now, let me make a comment on what I just read. That was the ESV. I love the ESV. I use the ESV. That's the Bible I use. I think this translation stinks at this point. You know, I don't think you're going to get hooked when you say, be not deaf to me, right? Or lest if you be silent. I want you to hear, but you got you to hear what he's really saying here. I am calling out to you. Don't shut me out. If you don't respond, I will die. Listen, I am pleading with you for mercy. I am crying to you for help. That's what's going on here, right? No lest and inverted syntax, and you know, you know there are times you know you get, even in a good translation, you've got to you got to do some work or read three other translations or 
tear it apart and say, you know when it says, lest I go, you know, lest if you be silent, I become like those who go down to the pit. In other words, if you don't listen to me, I die. It's that focused a need. That's part one, okay? Dire need. And I'll make one side comment here. You know, we use words like faith and dependency. And words like dependency, they, you know, like little children being held by their mom and, you know. But faith and dependency often don't feel good. Faith doesn't always feel good. It feels terrible when you are helpless. Faith feels terrible when if you're not heard, you will die. It's that. So, so, you know, real important, even for the kind of coloration, you know, what key is your faith operating? Is faith only in the, in the major key? Or can faith and need be so dire? It's, this is faith. It feels terrible in the going. That's, you know, you start, you just add these pieces and you're who you are, the kind of emotional range, experiential range that you are as a person. It's richer. It's going to change the way you sing. It's going to change. If you're a lyricist, it changes your lyrics. If you're, you know, setting up scores and instrumentation, it changes the way you do music. The second part is verses 3 to 5. Don't drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil. They speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward, because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of of his hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Now, what's going on in here is he's getting very specific. Verses 1 and 2 is just naked sense of need. 3 to 5, he is naming his problem. What's going on here is there's people, and you've known people like this too, where, you know, they, they're, they're talking sweet to you, but they are out to get you, you know. It, uh, this is one that easily personalizes. It, uh, you know, what's it like when uh, factions spring up in your workplace? You know, people like all smiles, hi, hello, how you doing? And then you find out that somebody's working behind to stab you in the back, there's gossip going on. They're trying to claim credit for something or oust you from a promotion. or It can happen in your church. What's it like when a group of family members talks behind your back? Everybody comes together. They're all polite. It's Thanksgiving. And then there are all kinds of ugly rumors, gossip, backstabbing. Uh, you're at school. Somebody plays nice to you, pretends to be your friend. Then they start talking about you to other people. Everybody knows this experience, you know. Your kids pretend they're, obe- they're being nice and obedient. Turns out they're doing all kinds of secret bad stuff. Your parents, just absolutely on your case, KGB looking for anything they can pin on you. I mean, this is, this is just life, right? It, uh, I always think kids need to get, kids need a break too, right? It, 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 it goes both ways, doesn't it? That, uh, we expect on the road a certain minimum standards of decency. Uh, What happens when a passing driver makes gestures, he mouths words at you, that basically indicate he would just assume that you were raped and left for dead and had gone to hell. That happens all the time, doesn't it? That kind of... I mean, this is is an ugly world. You you see, evil complicates. These things are bad. This is curses. This is death. We can identify... David identified Jesus. The Psalms are for Jesus. Psalm 28 is not one of those that was actually mentioned as a messianic psalm. This is a messianic psalm. This just layers straight onto Jesus' experience of of how people talked. uh, Let me say a couple things about Jesus in this. one, Jesus is the God-man, right? We often say that as a kind of theological statement about describing the person of Christ. He's the God-man, right? But that's not just a theory about the two natures of the incarnate Son of God. It's a reality that walks out in the Psalms. And one of the, one of the ways that you see Christ 
in all the Psalms is that frequently he's in both roles in the Psalms as the God-man. I mean, after all, he is the Lord himself, right? He is Yahweh in the flesh. Yehoshua, Yahweh saves, the Lord saves. He is the Lord himself come to shepherd and save his people. It's the Lord who dies for the sins of his people. This is, so Jesus is the Lord to whom the psalm cries from one point of view. And Jesus is also the man who suffers. He's the poor, the afflicted, the needy, the desperate, the innocent, the one who's being betrayed. Um, it's spectacular, right? He's, it's complex. I mean, this, this, is not a, this is not a simple, oh, here's a messianic prophecy that... that uh, it's this complex, profound, inner dynamic. You know, the whole scripture is about me. And in the Psalms, you see it's about him both. As, this is the life he lived as a man who needed to be saved, the pioneer of faith. And this is the Lord, the Savior himself, now in glory, who came down, suffered, and will save us and is the good shepherd. It's, it's both. But, uh, another comment I'll make about the way in which Jesus enters into this psalm you know, we, we often talk about his death from the standpoint of the finished act that purchased our redemption. It's a very strong theme in, in uh, Sovereign Grace music. The shorthand for that is the blood or the cross, isn't it? And by that we mean the finished act by which it was, it was finished. He did it. Right? But that can sometimes become a shorthand in which we lose some of the sort of ramping up unto that. That's what that Johann Hermann hymn, you notice it, clearly that finished work was implicit through that entire hymn, wasn't it? But the hymn camped on another part of it. It camped on the fact that Jesus went through an actual experience of dying and suffering. And the Psalms are his book and his anguish and what it's like to be betrayed, and what it's like when people are out to get you. And he's a man, and it hurts, and he's afraid, and will he be abandoned? And he's being cast upon. His, will his father raise him? He's cast upon that. And so you see both the subjective side of his sufferings, what actually happened to him, that, you know, and we do hear the shorthand of what the gospel means for our salvation, in the New Testament letters. But why have we been given the Gospels and the Psalms, which mainly give us the experience? Objectively, what actually happened, his passion. Subjectively, what it's like for him. The Psalms are a window into Jesus' experience. When we read Psalm 28, we are reading how he felt, thought, engaged his father. We are men and women who are called to become in his image. And lest we should have some really idealistic kind of plastic Jesus idea of that, part of being in his image means that you learn to suffer according to the patterns that he suffered. These psalms are given for your life. They're given to deepen, enrich, extend, expand the range of who you are as a human being, and the way that you actually deal with your sins and your sorrows. Yeah. And then that third, third movement, dramatic segue in from verses 6 and 7. This is straight out of Psalm 33. Pure major key, pure joy, worship, adoration, exaltation. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my plea for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. And it's just like Psalm 33, except it's not exactly the same because we're given different reasons. It's not interesting. Psalm 33 started with creation, ruler of all, the only savior. But Psalm 28 gets to that joy by a specific answered prayer after you were just getting beat on the head by people out to hurt you. So it's, a, so it's different. It's a different 
It's different music. Same joy, different way of getting there. That type of sensitivity to the, to the way the progressions come out is going to make you a deeper human being. By the time you get to verses 6 and 7, you're in the side of faith that does feel good. Faith feels good here. It is filled with joy. And then 8 and 9 are this spectacular capstone to the whole movement. Uh, Psalm 33 didn't go there. Psalm 28 does. Because this is a place where you might say individual faith, your experience, my experience, it starts to bust out to everybody else. The Lord is the strength of his people. Notice that you've been I, I, me, my, me. Not selfish, my. It's pleading, needy, believing me. And by the time you get to the last two verses, the Lord is the strength of his people. He's the saving refuge of his anointed. And I suspect that anointed there obviously would have a narrower meaning in terms of savior, king, like David. But all his people are anointed. It's, it's this wider reference. Oh, save your people. Bless your heritage. Be their shepherd. Carry them forever. And this is this terrific way in which this most personal of Psalms, my need, it busts out and it becomes about us. It becomes a Psalm of the church. This is, there is something in this of huge implication for the way you think about worship as a worship leader. Because one of the great tensions is how much are the Psalms these corporate things for everybody and how much are they meant for personal? And people argue this and polarize on this issue all over the place. And some people take the church group, public worship side, and you could almost wonder, does this even have to do with any real living human being? And other people so take the individual subjective side, is it just me and Jesus and he makes me feel good and fixes my life? And what you realize is there is no contradiction once you understand the progression. It starts first person. My need, God's invasionary promises of mercy. And we get it together in a lot of different patterns. And then, because faith leads to love, the God who has met me, he meets you, and you are my brother, and you are my sister, and you are my friend, and we, we will end up together in a throng going before the face of our God. So the worship of the church corporately and the worship of the individual, they, they walk out of the same pattern. But I do think it's important, that, because you see this in many, many Psalms. I think the starting point is it's got to be real for the individual. That's where it hit, this hits every worship leader. You know? it's, it, it's the individual is then able to know God in such a way they've got something to offer other people. They care about other people. They, they've got a God to give away, a shepherd, a savior, and so forth. The, um, let me make one other final comment here on Psalm 28. I picked this psalm not out of random, because one rarely does, do they? I picked this because this psalm has been tremendously meaningful to me and to my family. I was actually in this very building five years ago in May, in May teaching at the Pastors College when I got a phone call uh, from, the, from the, the, an ER up on, in Long Island saying that my 16-year-old daughter had just been diagnosed with a very rare threatening syndrome called Bichette syndrome that is potentially disfiguring, extremely painful, can lead to blindness, you know, sterility. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's lesions on mucous membranes. It can be in your eyes, your, your, your mouth, and your genitals. Just, you, you read the write-up, it's grisly. And so I'm here and I get this, this uh, news. And uh, one of the things I deeply appreciate about you, brothers and sisters, is you know when to release people. <laughs> And Bob has released you already today from certain uh, of life's lesser hang-ups, but I was released, you know, and headed up the, the uh, freeway up to New York to get my daughter. And um, my wife was on a trip somewhere, so she wasn't, she was out of immediate range. And uh, Psalm 28 became our reference point. And, but in a very curious way, because verses 3 to 5, you know, Desperate need. Okay, here's my problem, specifically. Radical joy. And now let's share it with others. 
That second part has nothing at all to do with disease, does it? It's about people beating on you, people out to get you, people being deceptive. But what you realize, and it's one of these, and I want you to hear this in exactly the right way, okay? It's as though what the psalm gives you is not only a pattern for how human experience played in the life of David, and then typical of the Psalms, getting beat on and betrayed and done dirty is usually what's happening to people because they're for Jesus. Right? That's what Jesus' experience was. But the pattern of experience that you hear in parts 1 and 3 and 4 applies to every kind of suffering. So, and I'll say that I say this with great respect. There's a sense in which verses three to five, you could view like a snap-in module on Xbox, right? It's it's here is David's experience and Jesus, and having heard it that way, known it that way, processed the way in which that can also be your experience, you can also reverently snap it out and snap in. She might die, she might be disfigured, she might be able to never have children. The desperate cry of need, if you don't hear me, I die. The joy that God does hear us and the ability then to communicate in love to other people, all those are the same. The same pattern of human experience flows not just from the one particular kind of suffering. It applies to every kind of suffering. Again, don't hear me as saying you can snap it out and just stick your own stuff in and who cares. That's not what I mean. You read it as it is. You apply it to Jesus as it is. You apply it in your life as appropriate as it is, and you'll find many ways it is appropriate. But then you've learned something about how life works. Your humanity has been enriched, and that exact same pattern applies to sickness. It applies to the death of a loved one. It applies to not when people are sweet-talking you and then stab you in the back, but when your finances get torpedoed. Same pattern of experience, Psalm 28, can lead you in that. I want to... um, I am not a a musician. Uh, I think Craig said it well. I got no game in that area. Um, I was teasing Bob beforehand, you know, when they mic'd me, they better not amplify me when we're singing, you know. Uh, although I, I took refuge in the fact that a monotone fits in with all other voices. In the, but I want to say a few things that are, at least as a absolute amateur ignoramus, might be of some benefit to songwriters, worship leaders, people who select songs, people who plan the musicality of it. There's um, a few things that just strike me as an, an amateur on that. Remember the minor key. Johann Hermann is in the minor key. 60% of the psalms, I'm give or take, is minor key, right? It's my, the minor key is very important. The minor key is the key of sorrow. It's the key of this complication of evil, our own grief and heartache, as in Hermann's hymn, or the grief and heartache of suffering. It's minor key. Uh, minor key is what presses our sorrows and our heartaches out. And uh, remember minor key. The second comment, pretty basic. This happened this morning too. Remember, there are slow tempos as well as quick tempos, right? There's uh, uh, not everything's allegro, right? There's, uh, what is it, lento or something. uh, I'm not much in musicology. But one of the things that slower tempos do is they give time and space to think, to feel, to process and, you know, when it's all joy, you don't, you don't need to process. You're just so happy. Like, you know, he won. It's, it's done. We have life. He's our Savior. You know, you don't have to stop and do a whole lot of internal thinking. But when you've got a Psalm 28, you've got minor key, you need to think. Psalm 22, it's a complex process, slower tempo. How about this one? Remember that one part of music are, is rests. Again, same idea. There's a place... For silence, it's like it's like uh, white space in in Chinese painting. You know, the rest can actually set up the note that follows it, can't it? 
put some silence in the music on occasion so you don't have simply the wall of sound effect. Here's another comment. And this too, I was so pleased at the way that this was that the Hermann hymn was scored this morning. Uh, remember the darker tone qualities. You know, we had we had piano and and uh, piano can can hit the darker tones as well as the bright. We had violins. Uh, you know, I think of my own thinking. I think of the cello, the oboe, the viola. You know, the uh, timpani, not the drum set. It, uh, there's, uh, so not everything's trumpets and cymbals, right? There's, there's tonal qualities that are Psalm 28 up until verse, uh, up until verse 5 is dark, and there's darker qualities. And then finally, just as you're thinking about your, your, as you're writing hymns and songs, as you're choosing them, just that you would tap into that richer, more complex sense of, of how human experience progresses. You know, uh, Johann Hermann's, there's no psalm quite like that. You know, that awareness of how his own sins crucified Jesus and brought these sufferings on Christ, that's a New Testament reflection. Because I don't think anybody in the Old Testament could have thought that. You know, you've got the lamb getting sacrificed or the goat, so there's a place where it is an, that hymn captures a piece of human experience that couldn't have been created before. I think of uh, that hymn, uh, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. That's a, that'd be a modern version of a hymn that's in the same genre. That's a New Testament hymn right, in the minor key, wrestling with the sorrow brought unto the Lord. There's a lot of other kinds of progressions. You know, every psalm is different, actually, once you start to look for what's going on in the human experience. A different kind of progression in a, in a well-known hymn would be Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace is interesting. It's a story, right? Starts out, I was a wretch, I was lost, I was blind. Grace met me, I see. It moves into the, 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 the immediate encounter with God then. Grace taught my heart to fear. I saw my sinfulness. Grace relieved my fears. How precious did that grace appear? Then it moves into the troubles of life. You know, you might say at the, middle, the third verse of, of Amazing Grace is it's what it's like for all the rest of the years. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace hath brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. So it's a, see, the Amazing Grace is a story. It's got a progression of your whole life history. It's a story. Then there's a verse that we often don't sing that should, we should sing. The fourth verse. And when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease. And I thought, boy, we ought to mention that. Because every one of us in this room is going to die. Right? We're mortal. Why would we leave that out? Because you've got to have a faith that's good to go right up to the point of death. Mortal life shall cease. This flesh and heart will fail. But I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. And by the last hymn, it's all joy. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. You know, it's a, it's a terrific hymn. And part of why it's lasted for so many centuries is it does such neat stuff with the way human experience works. And I hope you do some neat stuff with the way human experience, your experience works. Because your experience is what the God who meets you, is gonna, it's what you're going to have to give away in what you give to other people, in your leadership, in your servanthood. To them. A couple of uh, references, and I'll pray for us. Uh, there are three articles on the Psalms in your notebook. Psalms 10, which is, boy, the experience in there, it's like no other. It spends half the Psalm just thinking about what wicked people are like, and it makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck. That's, a, you know, I don't know how you would ever put that into a song, you know, but it is in the Psalms, right? And then there's Psalm 119 in there that my, my brother mentioned. There's Psalm 131. So it gives you a few more to think about. And uh, one thing you might want to keep your eye out for, uh, maybe someone here at Home Base, Sovereign Grace, could let people know. 
But Boundless.org is a, is a website that they are supposed to publish an article series that I've written that's going to include some, some, doing some stuff with Psalms 23 and 57. And that might just provide yet another reinforcer to the kinds of things that we have talked about. Our dearest Father, we thank you that the last word is joy. And yet, until evil is gone, it is complicated. And I pray for each of my brothers and sisters as I pray for myself that we would be people who don't, don't have these little stereotype boilerplate ways we relate to you, as though we only, you know, one-note melodies. We want to be men and women who with integrity and honesty meet the God we truly need as he truly is. And will you give this, and nothing less, will you give your very self to us, that the worship, which is such a joy in this, in this community of saints, we might look back in five years and say, Oh Lord, we hardly knew you. You have done great things of which we are glad. And we say this in the name of the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to a message by David Pallison, which was given at our Worship God 2008 conference and has been made available to you through Sovereign Grace Ministries. Sovereign Grace is primarily devoted to planting and caring for churches. We also hold conferences, train leaders, and publish books, music, and audio and video messages. For more information, visit www.sovereigngraceministries.org or call us at 301-330-7400.